Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome to episode 52 of the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen, brought to you by Scouts. At Scouts, we deliver purpose-aligned and performance-proven leaders. Speaking of, today our guest is Josh McCarter. Josh is currently the CEO of MindBody, the world's largest wellness marketplace. Some interesting statistics on MindBody include they have over 70,000 fitness, beauty, and integrative providers running on their platform. They have 1.3 million plus users per month. Is that correct? Uh, with three and a half million workouts and services booked per month, generating more than one billion in transactions per month. Wow. <laughs> Prior to MindBody, Josh is a well-traveled serial entrepreneur and successful business leader. Outside of work, Josh has served on numerous boards, most notably the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and Young Presidents Organization. Josh is an adventurer, have traveled to more than 50 countries and traversed the U.S. on his Harley. Josh, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thanks, Max. It's great to be here. Well, let's start out. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, mind-body mission is to leverage technology to improve the health and wellness of the world. That's yeah. freaking awesome. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so our purpose statement is actually to help people lead healthier and happier lives by connecting the world to wellness. And, and so that's obviously a big uh, remit when you think about all of the different wellness activities that uh, the people can take on. And uh, certainly during the pandemic, if anything we've seen is that uh, the world is not well. The people that are getting, uh, you know, impacted by COVID in many cases have underlying health conditions that could be avoided if they practiced a better wellness regimen. So we were, despite the fact that COVID's really impacted the wellness industry, uh, we're really optimistic about the tailwinds that we'll have coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, just when I think about, uh, you know, companies' missions and purpose statements, just to be a part of a company that's doing something that's providing so much good in the world is uh, so powerful. So yeah, uh, super lucky uh, to have you on the show, and yeah. I'm 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 glad you're in that role. Yeah, thanks, Max. But let's I, I want to uh, jump into the obvious, uh, and I did I told you kind of when I'm walking up here, I I uh, was watching a video. Um, it was I think it was a CNBC yeah. uh, interview. Anyways, talking about the you know some of the obvious stuff given the COVID environment, um, you know, gyms, uh, salons, and and. Uh, spas are reducing capacity and you know and upwards of 50 percent i find it absolutely fascinating on what you guys are actually doing as a company uh in pivoting you're you're uh investing in your infrastructure and building your technology and making yeah. those pivots let's talk about those pivots i think it's uh, yeah. it's really cool yeah, so um, as a global provider to the wellness industry, we started seeing the industry shutting down in, in January and February overseas. And then about a month later, it hit us here in the U.S. So think about like March, mid-March. And as that happened, everybody started thinking, man, how are we going to stay connected with our customers? How long is this going to last? And in the fitness industry, it was relatively easy to see a line of sight that you can do virtual wellness. You can have a virtual fitness class or a one-on-one -on -one instruction. And we had actually been building out a platform and a strategy around delivering uh, something that was fully integrated with our software for fitness businesses to be able to use to do uh, video on demand, to do live streaming, uh, and some other ways that they could stay in, in touch with their, with their members. 
numbers. Well, that obviously got accelerated. We were planning on releasing that at our Bold conference in, in August, and we ended up accelerating it, and we got it out the door in May. And so the, the focus on that was really trying to you know, give our customers an alternative to Zoom that they could have fully integrated with their business management system. Because you can imagine if you're doing Zoom versus something that's integrated, uh, you know, it's not behind a paywall. So how do you sell those classes? It's not tied into your CRM system. It's not tied into your marketing systems. And so um, that's one of the things that you know, MindBody has, has become known for is really building this all-in-one solution for wellness businesses. And we just look at the virtual side of things uh, as an extension of that platform. And, and now we really predict that the future of wellness is going to be what we call a hybrid model where you will be doing uh, classes in person, but you're also going to have to deliver virtual classes that may be on demand. It may be streaming. Uh, it's been really interesting to see how in certain markets, people are more interested in on demand and in other markets, they're more interested in streaming. So we think everybody needs to have both capabilities. And then over the next you know year, it'll probably settle out and, and we'll see what happens as we get more through the pandemic. That's interesting. So in a way, it almost uh, it, it almost fast forwarded some of your plans that you kind of had in motion. Yeah, in a way, absolutely. And and I think that it was it wasn't as much of a pivot as it was an acceleration. Now we also serve the spa and salon industry, and and you can't do virtual haircuts and you can't do virtual <laughs> massages. And so uh, that industry, what we focused on was what we call a low touch client experience. And so uh, if you think about going into uh, you know any salon or spa right now, you're not sitting in the waiting room like you used to. You know, we used to have nice lounges and areas that you could hang out, maybe sit in a massage chair. You're not doing that now. And so uh, what we've done is a a way for people to notify the business uh, through messaging that they're there, they're ready. They can get checked in. They can go straight into a chair. They can go straight into a room. Uh, They can do all of their payments and their tips through a mobile phone, much like you would do with uh, with an Uber. Uh, And then all of the rebooking we're driving actually through an AI and ML uh, product that we purchased last year. Yeah, that sounds uh, convenient. I can't wait to, to wait to use that. I've actually used uh, the platform uh, before I met you. I was scheduling back when you could go to yoga studios. I was right. sco- scheduling yoga and, and realized that I was using the system. So, um, and, and we talked a little bit about this personally, but you've uh, you have a dev team in India, and just right. trying to talk about where it's the company uh, geographically spread out. How has that started to adjust? Yeah. Um, and what what are some of the pivots that you guys have made as an internal team? Yeah, so I, I think the, the first part is is just the pandemic itself has caused you to reassess your overall real estate footprint. Uh, pre-pandemic, we had 14 offices, and you know now we, we still have 14 offices, but nobody's going to the offices. In fact, the only office that we have is open right now is in Sydney, Australia. Our UK offices were open for a couple months, uh, the last couple months, and then they shut down a week and a half ago when the UK went uh, back down on lockdown. So uh, right now we're, we're reassessing our, our real estate footprint, really trying to say, okay, what makes sense in this new hybrid work model? We, we surveyed our team. Um, almost half of the team said, hey, you know, either we don't want to come back uh, full time uh, or we want to come back in some kind of a hybrid fashion. In fact, I think it was closer to 75% when you put everybody together. And so that makes you really look at your real estate differently and say, hey, do I need all of this space? Even with social distancing, that's not going to last forever. So say it's another year. Um, and the surprising thing for us was that we were able to uh, keep up productivity. We thought, you know, hey, everybody working from home, and especially for those, you know, parents that have young kids that they're being, you know, they're working and they're being teachers All as right. well. We thought, man, our productivity is going to fall out, uh, and we found just the opposite. And so that's been that's been a great learning for us. And, and so we are going to lean in. We think it's actually a benefit to offer um, to our customers and prospective recruits is the ability to have flexible uh, work arrangements. And then with India, you know, we're we're looking at ways that we can tap into different talent pools. Certainly, uh, you know, India is known 
known for a lot of things, and, and tech development is one of them. Uh, and as you get to a certain scale like us, uh, you know, we're operating in over 120 different countries. And so we're competing with companies that are already developing in you know, Eastern Europe and in South America and in India. And so frankly, to be cost competitive, we also have to tap into some of these other labor pools. And you know, interestingly, the way that our business has grown, some has been organic, some has been through acquisition. So uh, around the country, we have different pockets of developers that have come from different acquired businesses. And so the it's already distributed development that's happening now. And our uh, what we call our center of excellence in Pune, India, is the only place where all of the disciplines are actually housed and they're working on all of the products. And so we acquired a business there last year uh, that only had about 40 people in it. Um, they were kind of a, a dedicated developer for MindBody. And, uh, and we've scaled that now to about 150. I bet by the time we exit next year, it'll be 250 to 300. Yeah, you know, and now as I was preparing for this and just kind of reading through some stuff, you always remind yourself when you're a worldwide company, there's, you know, countries are operating you know, differently. <laughs> yeah. And this pandemic is, right. is different. But how is it, how, what are some big differences that stick out to you? Different markets and end users in different countries yeah. uh, where you see a lot different type of activity versus the U.S. because of, the, because of COVID? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first part is, is how do the countries respond to it, right? And, you know, certainly in some of the Asian countries like Singapore and Hong Kong and China, they went hard on crackdown and they really stamped out you know, COVID much better, frankly, than we've done here or what we've seen in, in Europe. Uh, and so some of those countries, like I was just giving a, a report today, Thailand's up 20 25% from last year, whereas the U.S. is down 35% and New York and California are down 55% compared to last year. And so, um, so that's one thing is, is just how the original approach happened, you know, whether they enforce masks and, and social distancing and how they close different, uh, you know, markets. Now, as things are coming back online, uh, you know, people seem to be doing it fairly consistently. So it's, it's all about cleanliness, right? Like you don't want to go work out or get your hair cut or go and do a massage table if it hasn't been cleaned and, and disinfected. So, so that's kind of universal. Um, number two is we're definitely seeing distancing. So in the, um, you know, in the gym setting, it might be, shutting down certain machines like you know in the big box gyms where they've got you know 50 treadmills they're doing every other one or every two and in some cases i've seen this more in asia than in uh, europe and here they're actually putting up plexiglass in between the areas so that it's really like your own kind of cube that you're exercising in if you're on some type of a cardio equipment mm -hmm. And then in the, um, you know, in more of the boutique fitness, the yoga, Pilates and spin, it's really all about capacity. And so what, what's happened is, is, you know, most markets when they reopen, I think California honestly was the most extreme anywhere I've seen it, 10% capacity. Imagine you had a yoga class with 20 people and now you can have two. You're not even going to open your doors to do that, right? And so, um, so what, what we've seen is, is that, you know, most states are getting and, and countries 25% capacity, 50% capacity. And so the ones that start seeing more traction, the, the, you know, the entrepreneurs that run these businesses have to get creative. They're thinking of what can I do outside? Cause I don't have limitations on outside. Maybe before I only had four or five class times during the day, but now I can offer 10 class times during the day. They're going to be smaller classes, but I can keep the revenue coming in and, and making that work. And then, you know, of course, we've talked about virtual, and that's another way that, that people are driving revenue during these times. Yeah, by the way, when I go to the gym uh, prior to COVID and people didn't have a towel and they're sweating on equipment, <laughs> my question was like, what are you wiping the equipment off with? Right, it was always right. weird. Now, yeah, nobody would ever do that. It was just <laughs> right. a kind of a 
there's certain positive things that COVID has brought yeah, for to, sure. the, to, to the table. One is cleaning your equipment when you work out. Yeah. Um, tell me about uh, tell me about your journey becoming the CEO of MindBody. Yeah. Um, you know, I know I saw you this summer, and you had just become the CEO. Yeah, right. Probably in press releases, I didn't see it. I was probably paying attention to stupid politics that I should have been reading right, press right. releases. But uh, so, congrats on yeah, that. That was you. in August, if I believe. August, right. correct. Yep. And so, Mike, I guess what I want to get into here is, uh, you know, why, when we look at companies, especially when we hire leaders for companies, we, we usually see a visionary and then an executor. Yep. And it is come, you know, come to mind as I look through kind of your profile that I think you're the combination of both, which yep. is kind of rare. Um, but what is what is further evidence of this is you you were bought so you were running you were the CEO and co-founder of Booker correct, correct. yep and that was for how many years uh, I started that in uh, 2010 or joined it in 2010 I was a spin out from a company I was on the board of they had started building a technology module in that business that we thought could have some real legs and so we I ended up leading the spin out of that and raised the capital and then built that for eight years we sold it to uh, MindBody in April of 2018 and then I joined MindBody at that point as chief strategy officer gotcha and then you went from <clears throat> chief strategy officer to president and then right promoted to CEO right? yeah yeah and it, and it was it was an interesting kind of timing because we, we sold in April of 2018. MindBody was a public company at that point. And then uh, we ended up announcing that we were taking the company private with Vista Equity Partners in December of 20, uh, 2018. And so that was a really totally unexpected to me and frankly to the rest of the management team. It wasn't, you know, we had no view that that was, that was the outcome that was going to happen for MindBody. And when Vista came in, uh, you know, they assessed the management team. They were talking about kind of their longer term vision and, uh, and they asked me to step in as president. So I did that in, uh, in early 2019. And then uh, as we started going through through. Um, they've got a big playbook that they run with all of their companies, their best practices. And, and frankly, it's really good. And uh, and so I was kind of the lead sponsor. As president, I was the one that was kind of the senior most person ensuring that we were executing against that playbook. Wow, that's awesome. Crazy times to be promoted as CEO. <laughs> yeah, when all of your customers are shut down. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but I think they picked the right guy. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm going to move on a little bit, switch gears. Um, uh, tell me about your nickname, Shooter. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about it. Uh, that's uh, funny. Yeah, so, you know, I've had a couple nicknames in, in my life. Um, none of them have ever really stuck for very long. So Shooter was from when I was at a company uh, called Arbitech, where I was one of four partners. It was a technology distribution company. And this place was like the Wild West. I mean, it, we were selling commuter, we called them commodities. It was basically uh, data center equipment, servers and storage and memory and hard drives and, and so forth. And this was very much like a brokerage. When you walked into the office, everybody had three or four screens. Screens. We were taking data feeds from distributors around the world, and uh, we were always just like it was always about closing deals and how much GP did you book that day, and you know very much like a uh, you know the boiler room yeah. kind of mentality. And, uh, and so I came in and, and very quickly became one of our top salespeople. I was VP of BizDev. I was one of the partners, but everybody all the way up to the CEO had their own book of business. So I had to build my own book of business. And so I came in and I just, uh, I started, you know, shooting down deals. They were saying, you know, hey, you keep shooting down these deals and you're making it happen. And uh, so that's where I got my nickname, Shooter. And then, you know, I'm sure at one Christmas party or something, somebody was drunk and they're like, Shooter McGavin. <laughs> I thought, oh man, now I got to ditch this nickname because you remember that guy from Happy Gilmore. That's not uh, that's kind of damning with faint praise <laughs> <laughs> very true very true we'll get into the christmas uh, party story too i'm yeah. just kidding uh, 
So another, uh, what, what is a motto that you live your life by? Like, obviously, I personally know you, but yeah. I think it'll be fun to talk about this uh, yeah. and share with our audience. You know, the, the one saying that I, that I always agree with is if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And, and to me, it's really about how to live your life with intentionality and purpose, right? As, as you're thinking about things you want to achieve, um, you've got to have a, a positive view of it. Because if you think, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to get that done. And I, God, I can't get the team together to build that. Or nobody's going to buy it if I build it. Like that negativity, you know, if you're a, a glass is half empty kind of person, that's what your life is going to be. It's going to be half empty. And so I, I really think this idea of, you know, putting positive energy out in the world, doing things that, you know, where you are uh, really striving for things, bringing people along, building people up uh, and, and carrying them along for the ride and how Having them carry you too when the appropriate times uh, that's you know I, I think that's a, a great way to live life God and that's what makes you an amazing leader yeah, thanks. Um, tell me uh, just just looking across I always like to talk about what I call about uh, life resumes yeah so in t- thinking about your life experiences and resumes tell me about what would be maybe one of your top experiences and then we'll talk about maybe something that was uh, maybe, you know, maybe one of the worst experiences, but best learning experiences from it. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll break it up into a couple of things. So life experiences, um, probably most challenging. My dad died when I was 12 and my daughter got diagnosed with type one diabetes when she was four. So both of those were life experiences that you'd never wish on anybody and, uh, you know, certainly changed the course of, of my life. Um, and interestingly though, you can look at both of those and say, man, really horrible, you know, things to, to have happen. And, you know, again, going back to life is what you make of it. I think that I've actually turned those things into positive uh, things, become very independent, uh, you know, as a result of, of not having a dad. And my mom was a huge influence in my life. Uh, and then with Charlie, you know, uh, her type one has given us like a different sense of purpose. And for my wife and I, we've uh, gotten really deeply involved in charities. We've raised millions of dollars for it. Uh, I'd never wish it on anybody's kid. It's a horrible disease to have, but it's also something that, you know, as a family, we've, it's kind of united us around something, some, some commonality. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's really positive. Um, and then on the other side, like positive things in my life would be really, you know, I, I look at my wife and think about my marriage. We've been married for over 20 years. And, uh, and she's a great life partner. She brought me, you know, two amazing kids and uh, has supported my career and been, you know, just a, the best that, that I could have asked a, of her as a partner. Um, and then on the business front, I think, you know, the two things that I would say that are, you know, highlights. So, you know, or one highlight was certainly selling Booker. And, um, you know, you have as an entrepreneur always this uh, desire to build something that is meaningful and makes a difference and then that somebody's actually willing to pay for, right? And uh, and so that happened uh, and, we, and we sold the business again in, in 2018. And so that was great. And, uh, and then low lights, I would say, you know, usually have to do when you have to make some really tough decisions about your business. Um, there was a time at Booker where I had to go through a downsizing and, and you know, said goodbye to uh, about 100 employees, and that was really challenging. Um, you know, now here with COVID, uh, we also had to go through a massive restructuring in, uh, in what well, we planned for it in, in March. We executed it in early April, and we ended up having to let go of 600 employees and furlough 200 additional employees. And, you know, no matter how you're wired, like doing something like that is just horrible. And imagine having to do that remotely, right? Like this was 
we're doing it over Zoom calls and, and emails and so forth, not something where we can actually look these people in the face. They're getting let go for no fault of their own. They did nothing to deserve it. Um, but we, you know, we're staring at the real prospect of, you know, losing hundreds of millions of dollars in, in revenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, switching gears a little bit, do you feel like uh, in in we've never talked about this, but do you feel like you've found your purpose in life yeah. and business? Yeah, it's it's a good question. So, um, interestingly, I had a coach years ago um, when I was at the the technology company Arbitech. And I, I felt at that point that I was a bit lost. Like, you know, here I am, I'm in my 30s, making more money than I knew what to do with. Every, we had, you know, we were fastest growing company in the US and entrepreneur, multiple placements in Inc., best places to work in Orange County. And, uh, and I, f- I still felt lost. And so I, I got a coach, a guy named Vance Caesar out of Orange County. And part of his program was really thinking about kind of your beliefs and your values, and then thinking about your purpose. And so part of his you know, process was you would write a purpose statement and think about it. And it actually took a while to kind of get there as you start, because you have to kind of clear your mind, right? To be able to think about, okay, what am I put on this world to do? And so I, I came up with a purpose statement. This was when I was probably, I'm 47 now, so I was probably 30. Two thirty-three then, and uh, and and that has been something that has helped me like kind of figure out, hey, am I on track or not? And and the statement itself was to live and experience life as an adventure, building rewarding friendships and partnerships along the way, while enhancing my life and the lives of those around me. And so it's it's a it's a pretty big you know you can fit a lot into that right, but it does help me think about like hey am I doing things that am I enhancing my life and I am I enhancing the life of those around me it could be my employees it could be my family it could be my business partners, um, and you know also thinking about you know really uh, living life as an adventure like I like you know like you said I've traveled over fifty countries I love riding my Harley. Um, you know, and I also just like, you know, kind of doing fun things and different things. And, you know, I don't want to live a staid life. You know, we're all only on the earth for so long. And uh, I want to look back and say, hey, man, I've lived my life without regrets. I've, I've done everything I set out to do and more. And uh, and I've also impacted people in a positive way. Yeah, no, and I've seen it. Uh he recently came over to my house for Halloween, and he was Joe Exotic. <laughs> and he, there's a picture of this online, so we'll talk about it. But he still has a mustache. You guys can't, won't be able to see this, but he still has the mustache from the costume. He doesn't have the handlebars, but he had the best Joe Exotic costume. There was actually another guy that showed up as Joe Exotic, and he had him beat. And the other guy had a, a knee brace on. Yeah. So he had some extra uh, gear, and extra his name flare. was Joe. And his name was Joe. Yeah, <laughs> right. he still he he didn't he didn't hold a candle to uh, to this. But on a serious note, I I think I have met uh, how I came to know Josh as I hired a, a, a head of sales right. that was working for uh, MindBody, yep. um, and she came over and worked for me and, and kind of made the introduction. And I just kind of poked around and I asked her name's Christine. I asked Christine about Josh, and she said. Man, he knows how to have a good time, and so I asked, you know, some stories, and 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 now that I've gotten to know him, it it really it holds true. But let's dig into that a little bit. I mean, you you know, you seem to always have a good time. Obviously, you're getting a lot done at work. Yep. You're you're making a lot of big stuff happen on the work front, but you always I I feel like you balance it well, and you do it naturally. It's not like you're 
having a good, good time and, and it's an artificial, you know, good time. I think it's all across your life, but yeah. talk about why that's important and, and how that comes so naturally for you, uh, both yeah. inside the office and then personally. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, you know, fortunately I've just got a positive disposition and I think I'm just naturally wired like that, but there's also a part of it, which is, man, when you're grinding as hard as we do building businesses and so forth, you've got to have a release, right? You have to have something. And, you know, people talk about work-life balance or work-life harmony, um, but it's real. Like if, if you're just grinding away, you know, 70, 80 hours a week and you're not able to unplug and spend time with your family and develop friendships and, you know, go out and see the world, uh, then I, I think that, you know, ultimately you're going to crumble or your, your relationships that are the most important are going to deteriorate, right? Your relationship with your spouse or with your kids and, and so forth. And so that's one thing that I've always really, you know, tried to tried to invest in. And then when it comes to the work side, you know, I, I want people to see me having fun, right? Like, I mean, I'm not going to be hammered at a holiday party or, or stumbling over, but I'm going to dress up like a total idiot. I've got more holiday <laughs> pictures of me in, you know, a Christmas tree suit or dressed up as the Grinch or like all of these different things just to have fun and, and to be able to lead by example and tell people like, hey, man, don't take yourself so seriously. Like if, you know, if you, you can laugh at the CEO, you can come up and take pictures with me like it be accessible right and uh and right now like this mustache that i'm growing i'm growing it for november and so this is something i've sponsored at the company i usually do uh, a matching donation for whatever we we raise for the november foundation it's, it's focused on men's health this year they focused a lot on first responders and mental health of of men in particular um that are obviously struggling as everybody is with with covid but you know i uh, i reached out to the team you know in our slack channel we have a wellness slack channel and i kind of challenged the team I said, hey, guys, you know, I'll match everybody's donation up to X and let's grow out our facial hair. Let's post pictures of our progress every week. And uh, and it's just something to have fun. Right. And, and be able to laugh about. Yeah. Yeah. No. And going back to uh, things you participate in, you know, since Charlie was diagnosed with type one diabetes, yep. you obviously join uh, the nonprofit to, to help drive awareness yep. and, and money. And and I really admire that about you. You also, you know, we're all both in YPO, but you've been on served on the board, and so yep. you know, you're really one that serves and puts a lot of time, and you put in what you you know get out, and yeah. and uh, so where did that come from? I mean, where did you start, yep. you know, thinking that way of like to to put you know that much time and effort in something in order to you know get something out? Yeah, it, it definitely happened later in my life, and it, and it was around that time that I started seeing my coach because that was also when. Uh, he was the one that suggested I join YPO, and it was also at the same time, more or less, that Charlie got diagnosed. And so, you know, my wife and I were saying to each other before all of that, man, we can't believe what a charmed life we're leading. We're so blessed. We've got, you know, we have a solid job. We've got our health. We've got good income. We have good friends. Like, and we were living in Corona Del Mar at the time. So, you know, right next to the beach and just a, a beautiful lifestyle there. And when Charlie hit, it just, when her disease hit, it really kind of rocked our world. And um, immediately, like the very first thing I did was I tapped into my YPO network because we weren't able to get her into Children's Hospital of Orange County. She got, you know, like the, the pediatrician said, hey, we think she's got type one, but the only way you're gonna know is if you go there. And uh, we couldn't get a bed. And so luckily, two of my forum mates were on the board of chalk. I gave them a call. They got us right in, got us connected with the president. And so, um, you know, we, we saw from that really, you know, one, they now why did they get involved with chalk? Because, you know, one of their sons had a brain tumor. And so it just started getting us to think a little bit more, you know, less selfishly and more about how can we bring great things to the world. 
Um, YPO has been transformational for me. And, and one of the blessings that I've had from that is that my forum mate, a guy named Mark Moses, uh, he, I think you know Mark. Yeah. Um, yeah he uh, started the father-daughter and father-son programs in YPO. And I took Sydney to this when she was my oldest, who's now 19, when she was seven uh, in California. And it's basically an extended weekend where you bring uh, fathers and daughters of the same age together and you bring resources and child development resources to talk with you about how to help your kids grow up, don't solve all that are problems for them, how do they develop leadership skills and grit, uh, and then also have one-on-one time with them. And, and so I ended up taking that. He, he started you know building that program out. I took it and ran it for eight years with both of my kids at different areas. And so um, that was one where I look back, like as much as I was giving to other dads, there would be about 25 dads and daughters that would come to each of these. I was getting so much back in return in terms of teaching my kids about leadership and giving back and also the relationships that they've built, especially with social media. Now my kids have, you know, friends that are in Jordan and in Israel and then, you know, the Philippines because of these type of, uh, of events. That's amazing. It's amazing. And I am, I'm being coached by uh, a guy that's partners with Mark Moses right now. Oh, so, really? Oh, yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when thinking about all this, cause this is, uh, I love talking about what makes people great leaders and this humbleness yep. and this, this giving back and just everything that you, the, the authenticity that you bring to the table as a person makes you a good leader. But when were you first called to be a leader? Because everything yeah. you're talking about was kind of happened for you a little later in life. Yeah. And I, frankly, I've only really had conversations about business stuff and YPO stuff that's yeah. more recent. And I've never yeah. really dug in going back into your life. Like, wh- when were you first called to be a leader? Like, yeah. what did you do that got you into that position? So I'll, I'll tell you two quick stories. So the, the first one is, is that I didn't even know what leadership was when I was a kid. And uh, one time I was with my grandma. I was probably seven or eight years old. And we were messing around, some kids from the neighborhood and I, in, the, in her backyard, she had this you know, kind of big uh, property with an orchard on the back of it. And I start picking up some oranges and I'm throwing them against the garage at the back of the house, making a mess. All the kids are laughing and everything. And my grandma comes out and she starts yelling at me, what are you doing? Don't you see the mess that you're blah, blah, blah. And so I, I was like, man, the kids scatter, right? They all go running everywhere. My grandma comes and grabs me and pulls me into the garage. And she says, Josh, you're a leader you can't behave like this because you can lead people to do good things and you can lead them to do bad things. And you're obviously leading kids the wrong way. So he's like, so she grabs a a broom and a mop and something else and gives it to me. And she says, now go lead your friends to go clean up all of that mess. And so like that, that was literally the first time where I realized that, Hey, maybe I do have a leadership quality, but it's, you know, when you're a kid, you just kind of don't, you know, you don't think about it as much. Um, you know, I was fortunate that, you know, I, I worked, as I mentioned, my dad died when I was 12. I got my first job when I was 12. And so I was working, you know, first detailing cars at a Volkswagen dealership in San Diego. And then I started working in a, a bike shop. And within like two months, the guy left and basically said, hey, you're managing the bike shop. You know, I'm going to go do these other projects. And so pretty much I was managing that. And I started managing people at 14 years old. And, uh, and then in college, I sold cars and I just kind of kept every job I had. I was able to you know, rise up through the ranks through performance pretty quickly. And, uh, and that's kind of how the leadership came. It, it wasn't, you know, I, I always tell people um, at my companies, you know, don't wait for somebody to tell you that you're a leader. You, you have the opportunity to exhibit leadership every single day and, you know, also make sure that, you know, you're, you're not always the one that's kind of the squeaky wheel because sometimes that's not the kind of leader that people want. They want the, the steady leaders, the people that are, they can always rely on. And, uh, and if you're at the right shop, they're going to recognize that and they're going to value that and you're going to get promoted based on that. 
And what type of leader do you think you are at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I usually subscribe to the servant leadership, um, you know, uh, concept. Uh, I did hear a, a new version of it called empowerment leadership, which I, I like a lot um, because the idea, you know, is is that you need to have the right team, build the right team, and then empower them to be successful. And, you know, for me, I always say, hey, my job is to clear the landmines. Like, I've got to make sure that you've got, you know, you're the domain expert in your area. I need to make sure you have all the tools necessary and the runway necessary to go be successful. And, uh, and so that's, that's really, I try to hire the best people and, and get out of their way. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good way to go about it for sure. What are some uh, fun leadership lessons that you've learned over the years? Leadership lessons. Um, you know, so a, a few. So one I heard from Robert Smith, who's the, the chairman and CEO of, of Vista, who now owns MindBody. And, uh, and I, I love the saying, it's, it's be a learn-it-all and not a know-it-all. And, uh, and I think that that's something that, you know, you can, you can really take in a lot of different ways. You can take it in your personal life and you can take it in, in your business life. That, that's certainly one. Uh, you know, we, we have a value at MindBody that's humble and helpful. And I think that, you know, I, I've seen that leaders that are the opposite of that, like if you think of the opposite of humble and helpful, man, that's really not a leader that you're going to want to uh, to work with. And, uh, and then I also think that, you know, this concept of, of really hiring the best people and building a team and, and letting them be successful and, and get, out, get out of the way and also giving them the accolades for the work. You know, like I, I try when I'm talking, when I'm doing a board presentation or when I'm talking with other folks, it's not about me, right? It's not about my success. It's about Jimmy's success for bringing this idea forward and opening up a whole new market for us. And so th those are, you know, some things that I, I think that especially younger leaders a lot of times don't think about because they are thinking about, hey, how do I stand up above from the crowd? And, uh, you know, I just appreciate on our team that we do have a culture of people that, you know, at every level, level from a, you know, manager to a director to a VP, uh, you know, they don't always try to take credit for what's happening. It's always a collaborative effort. They're giving, you know, praise to their team. And, and I think that that goes a long way when you're developing your leadership skills. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I think uh, anytime we look at companies that have the, uh, what we, we've see as great values there's always a uh, a learning value ours is yep. relentless learning yep and uh yes it's it's terrible working for a know-it-all yeah and especially super talented people they just yeah. shut down they quit bringing in new ideas it's it stifles yeah. innovation so well that, and that's that's one thing i you know in in terms of you know leadership i uh, think where i've seen people fail with leadership it's always been people that come in with that i'm a know-it-all i'm the smartest guy in the room because a few things happen Num number one is is that they, they don't retain people that are smarter than them. They don't even think about recruiting people that are smarter than them because they either don't want to be challenged or they think they know everything better than anybody else. So why, why are they going to stretch for that, you know, A plus player in a, in a perfect area or particular area? Uh, my uncle told me, you know, early on, he said, uh, and he was a very successful entrepreneur. He said, you know, a good CEO surrounds himself or herself with somebody that makes up for their weaknesses. And, uh, and I thought that was really smart. And then later, you know, I, I drew a corollary because of somebody that I worked with that was, you know, always the smartest guy in the room. And uh, I said, yeah, but, uh, but you also have to recognize, right? You have to be <laughs> humble enough to recognize where you're strong and where you're not. And frankly, a lot of people don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, speaking of hiring, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about hiring. But <laughs> so how do you, like, I, I guess this is both, we, this can go towards mind, body, and you uh, personally, I, I would have to say, 
some of your success has been from being able to hire talented yeah, people. Right. How, what do you? What is it that you do? Is there a certain you know certain interview styles or or anything that you do in particular that helps you be so effective at, yeah. at hiring great leaders? Yeah. So I, I would tell you that again, it's about the team, right? Like it's not me that's just doing the interview process. Um, I've always had kind of like a battery of of interviews usually we'll target specific people to focus on certain areas. And so if we identify, like we're recruiting a CFO right now, our, our CFO is retiring. And so we, we have an outside agency that we're working with and they've, they've brought, you know, a, a handful of, of different uh, candidates to us. And so I think by the time that we would get to even like bringing somebody to our board, they're going to have talked to 10 different people in the company um, because especially a role like a CFO or a president, it's just vital that, you know, a number one is fit, right? Like, is there a fit? Is there a core values fit? Is there a culture fit? Is there, you know, kind of a skill fit? And, um, and so one person in a 45 minute interview cannot assess that. Right. And, and part of it is, is how do you bring the, you, I want to bring people along in that decision so that it's, they don't feel when somebody comes in that it's like, Oh, Hey, Josh, you know, pick this person. And now we got to go work with this person. No, I want them involved in the decision-making. And it's also kind of a recognition that, you know, somebody else might pick up on something in an interview that you don't, because you didn't ask that question. Maybe they were going down a different line of, of thought. And so, um, you know, I would say that there's only, you know, when I look back, I think I've made two or three hires that I deeply regret. And that's after hiring, you know, I mean, hundreds of people, but, you know, probably 50 executives during my career. And so I think that's a pretty good hit rate. Yeah, no, and going back to that relentless learning uh, mentality, I always feel like uh, interviews are won or lost and the questions that candidates ask when you open it up, like, hey, do you have yeah, any questions? Totally, that's a good point. And the types of questions they ask, whether they're like know-it-all questions, like yeah. pointing things out, or if they're truly curious questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but speaking of curious, what are, you, what are you curious about now? What are you most curious about now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know two things. One is, is kind of, hey, what does this world look like? And specifically in the wellness industry after the pandemic, uh, you know, the industry reports say that 25% of the industry is gonna be gone. And so, you know, what I wonder is, okay, well, how fast does it bounce back, right? And what does the new normal look like for the, you know, for the wellness industry? Are we still going to be operating on, you know, reduced capacity? Are we going to be operating, uh, you know, with just kind of hybrid models and virtual and so forth? And so I think that's like, you know, that's one area that I'm, you know, I'm curious. And then uh, probably as everybody that, you know, depending on the time that you're listening to this uh, would be curious about is, hey, where, where do we land with the election and, and everything that's going on in, uh, in politics? right now yeah no absolutely and what do you find uh obviously you've done a lot of things right you're a very humble person yeah. uh, but what do you found what do you find most challenging uh in life right now i mean work yeah. and life i think i mean so most challenging would be um i i think just the division and everything that exists today even with among my own friend groups you know you get into certain po- uh you know whether it's politics or you know globalization or climate warming or, or trade there's very there's so much polarization now that you know trying to find that common ground is 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 definitely challenging um, you know the you know the other part that I, I look at and, and think what I'd, I'd really like to see this get um, you know get settled is uh, is just you know as, as we're thinking about the the broader competitive landscape you know when um, we look at 
Peloton and what's happening there. And you have a lot of people that are saying, hey, it's all about virtual in the in the future. I don't think it is, man. I, I think that technology is important, but I think the community is even more important. And, you know, again, some of those same forces that are, you know, pulling friendships apart are also kind of pulling communities apart. And so I think that that's another challenge that we've got as a, as a society is, you know, how do we bring communities back together and, and, and do that? The wellness community has always been kind of a very tight knit community. Community. And we just had our bold conference today. We had over a thousand people attend that, and uh, and it was great to kind of just hear the stories of you know of survival and struggle and grit and everything that's you know that's been happening there. Um, so yeah, so those are a couple of things that I you know challenged by. I will tell you like jokingly, but one of my biggest challenges in work is I'm horrible with Excel. It is just something that I've never been good at, and I've never taken the time to get good at it. Uh, and now I have you know a bunch of people in FP&A and data science that can uh, that can do all the Excel work for me. I think one thing that's changed uh, <laughs> even since I've known you is. Uh, you traveled a lot for work, and, yeah. and I think you—you're you know, the type of person that you—you just—it was part of the job. Yeah. But I think you actually enjoy it. Yeah. And so you've had to change your lifestyle That's quite a true. bit, which has been yeah. good for me because I get to see you yeah. around town right. more often. But yeah. it's been quite a shift yeah. for you, correct? Yeah, it, it's been a huge shift. I mean, I'm normally you know racking up a couple hundred thousand miles a year, you know, gone fifty percent of the time, and so. Um, on one side, it's been great to be home. You know, last year, my daughter was uh, a senior in high school. And so we got to spend really an extra six months together and, you know, before she took off to, to Cal Poly. And so that was great. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm home now. I'm cooking most of our, our dinners. I love grilling. We've got a smoker and a grill. And so I'm always out there, you know, doing that. Um, but it has been a challenge also just being home more. And, you know, uh, it's because I, I really miss the team. Like I miss seeing people. I like going on, you know, trips, meeting my, you know, taking out the the top performers in all of our offices, going and doing town halls and so forth. And so now we've just had to adapt to be able to do that with Zoom. And, you know, it's definitely not the same, but it's, it's better than nothing. Yeah, no, I think you're like me. I think when people will appreciate when you come out to see them more in the yep. near future once you know we get further down this and i look forward to that cuz i'm the same way yep. old school in the right way where right. you know you make it you make the trip to yep. meet somebody face to face shake their hand yep. maybe not shake them maybe an elbow, yeah, elbow bump. bump these days yeah but uh, <laughs> but no i i agree so tell me uh, speaking of covid mm-hmm. uh, and so i talked to you obviously uh, pretty often throughout it what have been some covid like blessings for you like things yep. i mean obviously this hasn't been great for a lot of people yep. but i think when you there's things that certain people take away uh, that it has forced them to maybe think differently. What yep. are some things, takeaways for you that have been uh, positive? I mean, more time with your family, yeah. more time with your wife. Yeah, de- definitely those. Um, you know, I think some other, you know, positive takeaways. One is it just kind of reinforces that um, – you've got to be agile in your thinking. So your, you know, your comment about, you know, always growing and so forth, we have a, a value that's uh, consciously evolving. And so, you know, for us thinking about consciously evolving through the pandemic, it's both our, our software, it's how we're managing our team, it's our office footprint, it's all of those things. Um, we frankly have become so much more efficient as a, as a business as a result of this. Um, and we're able to, you know, we had, we had to think about the business fundamentally differently. And it's kind of like, hey, if you were given a blank slate, how would you redesign this business to be successful going forward? And, uh, and so I think that that's been, you know, for me, one of the, the great takeaways from this is, is that, you know, you can have a quantum paradigm shift. You know, this was forced on us by COVID, but, you know, think about how do you reinvent yourself and, and know that 
there's always a, you know, there's always opportunity to improve. And, and so I think that that's something that we've seen that's been really positive coming out of COVID. Yeah, amazing. So what's one thing that you wish people would stop saying? Yeah. There's something, I mean, and, and I always think of COVID, like right. for me, it's like the new normal. Yeah. I just kind of, you know, the new normal is just normal for me, but anything right. that like sticks out. Yeah, I mean, the just, one thing that everybody, I haven't heard it in a bit, but unprecedented, God, that word's driving oh, yeah. me crazy, right? Like if I hear unprecedented again, it'll, it'll go nuts. Um, the other one that's like, not, has nothing to do with COVID, but, and, and it's also started dying down, but you know, years ago I used to go to the UK quite a bit. And I'd always laugh because they had the, you know, keep calm, you know, mind the gap, keep calm, carry on. Now you started seeing keep calm, whatever, everywhere, right? They had, you know, everything had sayings. And that just drove me nuts because I didn't feel like I could escape it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think in the, in the future, go, going back to uh, wellness and yep. fitness, I, from what you're saying and kind of what I think, too, is uh, people are always going to want to work out and people yep. are always going to want to be, you know, part of a community yeah uh do you think this comes back the wellness industry comes back stronger at some yeah. point i mean that that's that's what i'm gathering from yeah. you like very strongly but tell yeah. me about that I, I think so i mean we were sharing just today that like in australia that you know has done extremely well i mean they're an island they can you know lock down a lot better than than most other places can but they've really bounced back you know better than than most uh of the england we call the english eight countries that we do a lot of business in and uh, what they're seeing is is that their uh, per location bookings are higher than what they were before. And what we think that is, is that people have just been bottled up, right? Like if you think about the amount of services that you forego during a year, if you're not going to a gym, you're not going to a spa, you're not going to a salon. Now, all of a sudden, you probably got some money that's saved up or you've got credits at your, you know, at your gym or, you know, your spa if you have a membership. And uh, and I think people are, are going back and taking advantage of that. But I, I also think there's one other part, which is, um, you know, there's been a spotlight put on health and wellness during this. And, and, you know, I was just watching the news last night and they were talking about, you know, how people with type two diabetes or people that have cardiovascular issues and, and so forth, that they're likely the ones that are going to be getting the vaccine first. Right. And so you, you think about that and you go, yeah, th they are definitely the, the target um, that should get it first. But man, I don't want to be in that category. I want to be healthy. I want to, you know, be able to, you know, live without, um, you know, worrying about some of these comorbidity issues. And so I, I do believe going forward that people are going to be more, you know, thoughtful about their health. Um, you already see like millennials are, are very engaged. I think Gen Z is going to be there. Um, you know, baby boomers were the ones kind of early on with the, you know, Jane Fonda and, and VHS. And now they're a big component of, of our business. And, and as Gen X, you know, that we're in, as we start aging out and we start getting more into our retirement years, I think we're going to be, you know, a lot more conscious of, of our own health than our parents were. And just like our parents are a lot more conscious of their health and working out. Like my mom does yoga all the time. She can do a headstand. I can't, I can't imagine it. She's 72 years old. <laughs> I always worry about her breaking her neck, but um, you know, she's, she's incredible. And so, and I think about like the difference between her and her mother. So I, I think that it's something that over time, um, just generationally, it's not even going to become a, you know, a thought. It's just going to become part of kind of what society does. Yeah. That's what I think about the travel industry too. I mean, mm -hmm everybody that's used to traveling it's just pent up and they want to travel so many places i i would say i'm yep. the same way i yeah, can't wait sure. when that opens up i'm traveling probably more <laughs> just in case something right. happens again right. but speaking of traveling so you've you've traveled to 50 countries yeah 
What have been uh, what's what's been your favorite place to travel to, and yeah. you know, kind of why? I mean, just in somebody that's traveled that many countries, that's that's kind of what I've yeah, never I mean, talked about. With right? You. Yeah. I mean, they're they're all unique in in different ways. I would tell you that India, I thought was going to be one and done, check the box. Uh, I went there for the Global Wellness Summit with my uh, with my family. Uh, we loved it and uh, want to go back. We did the Golden Triangle, and uh, you know, we went to it's it's uh, Agra, Delhi, and, and Jaipur. And uh, so we saw the Taj Mahal and so forth. And I was just blown away by the vastness of the of the country. It's kind of like going to the U.S. and saying, oh, yeah, I know the U.S. And you went to Texas, right? Like that's kind of like the space that we went to. It wasn't, you know, you didn't see Miami, you didn't see New York or San Francisco or L.A. And so now, you know, I really want to go back and, and explore India. Uh, my mom, who has uh, gotten really into yoga, she got into a major car accident, could not get help um, here in the U.S. from Western medicine, was basically becoming a cripple and went over to. Um, uh, went over to India and she uh, lived in, uh, I forget exactly the part she was in, but it was basically an Ayurvedic hospital for a month and a half. And she came back walking, doing yoga, all of the Ayurvedic you know, treatment that she had. So I, I think that that's something that I want to explore at some point in my life. Um, but there's a lot of places I haven't been, you know, even going to 50 countries, you know, I, I haven't been to Israel, I haven't been to Jordan, I haven't been to uh, Peru to Machu Picchu. So those are some of the places that, you know, I'd like to go. Absolutely. It's speaking of bucket list stuff. So uh, in your profile, I mean, obviously, you've traversed across the US on your Harley. Yeah, uh, you've done a lot of that. What are some other things that yeah. you would like to do on the uh, the bucket list <laughs> side of things that I know this is well, uh, uh, sometimes a tough question to yeah. ask. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely more countries I want to go to. I just, you know, I listed some of those. Um, I'd love to do another, you know, trip on the, on my Harley somewhere, you know, kind of long distance. Um, I'd love to drive a Formula One car. I've never done that before. So, you know, doing something with a car. Um, I've always wanted to get my pilot's license. And so that's something my wife's, uh, she has two, she has a father and a stepfather. They were both Navy fighter pilots. And so she's not thrilled about me wanting to do that. So we'll, we'll see if that ends up happening. But she gives me a lot of leeway on my Harley. So I'm not sure. <laughs> which is which is more dangerous right and so, tell me what it is about uh i've ridden motorcycles i grew up yeah. riding dirt bikes and yeah. i've ridden a harley I, it's a long story i had a friend get in an accident on a harley so i just promised i'd never ride, ride yeah. a harley so yeah. i've never had that experience of really going yeah. on long trips on harleys but yeah. what is it about riding a harley that is yeah gets you in the zone that is most fun for you you know i, I think there there's a couple things so the the first is is i just i love the feeling like it's it's like freedom right and you know i i always envision myself as like you know a cowboy back in the 1800s driving across, you know, going across country on a horse, but I'm on an iron horse this time. Right. And, uh, and so you see parts of the, you see parts of the country that you wouldn't normally do. I love road trips, but you know, I wouldn't normally go off and take a weekend and drive around, you know, certain areas like I, like I do on my, on my motorcycle. Um, I love the smells. It's really funny. Like I say this, my wife's like, oh, you're like a dog or something, right? <laughs> Hanging your head out the window. But like, I love the smells when you go through, you smell the wild, wild flowers, you smell the pines, you smell like all of that. And, uh, and that's great. And then the last thing is, is that it's like, it's really my Zen place. It's like the only place in my life where I can be a thousand percent present because you have to be, man. You're, you know, when you're <laughs> zipping along and, you know, I go a little too fast sometimes. So, you know, say you're going along 80, 90 miles an hour. You, stuff's coming at you super fast and that pothole that is a hundred feet in front of you is going to be on you in you know half a second and so you're always scanning you know everything in front of you and so you have to be present so i'm not thinking about my earnings release i'm not thinking about a board meeting i'm not thinking about you know what any of these things it's just you're a hundred percent present and and so for me that's what i love about it 
Oh man, amazing! <laughs> uh, you're we're typical guys that you really like to go fast, right. and, You know, do things yep. in cars. But uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into some rapid fire questions. Sure. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Well, now that I live in Arizona, the first thing I do is I have a glass of electrolytes because I, I wound up in the hospital one uh, one day after working out and not having had electrolytes. So that's the very first thing I do now. <laughs> what about a book that you've read more than once? Um, you know, so I'm not a big book reader. And uh, so I, I would say that probably the one, and I recommend this book to a lot of uh, young leaders at, at uh, MindBody, is uh, Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think I think that's a great one. Awesome. Uh, what person has had the biggest impact on your life? Well, I, I'd break it up into into three. On, on who I am as a person and a human, my mom, for sure, because I mentioned my dad passed away and, and she raised me. I was not uh, an easy child, uh, you know, at that point at, at 12 years old. Uh, an impact on kind of like my life and and the happiness that I have and and how I live today is my wife. Absolutely, we've been friends since uh, since junior high and and didn't start dating till after college. And then on business was my uncle, and he you know was a serial entrepreneur. Uh, also went bankrupt, and you know so I saw the high highs, the private jets, and the house in Aspen, and I saw the man I'm I'm destitute right now, and and then came back and built a company and took it public. So really, you know, talk about grit and determination. That was something I learned from him. Yeah, you've talked a lot about him in, the, in our conversations. So yeah. If you could teach one subject to children in school, what would it be? Uh, grit. I think it's, it's really one of the things that uh, people you know, need to have if they're going to be successful in business, especially if they're going to be you know, entrepreneurs. And I also think it's in life, too. Like it's, uh, you know, think about the pandemic, right? Like if you're not able to handle adversity and be able to muscle through it and, and so forth, it's, you're, you're going to have a challenging time right now. Yeah, absolutely. Are you a morning or night person? Uh, morning. I thought that. Yeah. What's the most spontaneous thing you've ever done lately? Which this is <laughs> it's a my big tiger. It's my Tiger King outfit for sure, man. <laughs> Besides the Tiger King outfit, but that's pretty good. Yeah, God, you know, I gotta say, I'm not super spontaneous. I'm definitely more planned. Um, you know, I mean, in normal times, we plan out our life, you know, six to nine months ahead of time. So I think the most spontaneous thing I've probably done was, you know, take it, take a day off, and I went and did uh, tactical training with, uh, you know, with an ex marine. <laughs> that was the most spontaneous thing I did. If you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? I, I think just kind of all of the division that's happening right now, you know, and the lack of discourse and, and uh, you know, engagement positively. Like, I, I always like to assume positive intentions, you know, and, and that, uh, you know, that there are ways for people to bridge their differences without being so polarized. And, and I just I feel right now, like, as a, as a society, we're becoming a lot more polarized. And, uh, and I just I, I wish there was more room for dialogue. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to start winding it down. I think uh, I, I, try, I try to keep these to about 45 minutes. Yeah, so people totally. Will, uh, listen to them. But uh, uh, you're listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen, brought to you by Y Scouts. You can find all of our past and uh, future podcasts at yscouts.com. Josh, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh-oh. What advice do you give everyone as we face an increasingly challenging COVID environment? What advice? Well, man, that's a good question, Max. I think that, you know, right now it's it's you got to have patience because this is not going away overnight. And, um, you know, I think that it's it's important to, 
you know, pay attention to what your local, you know, municipalities are saying about how, because everywhere is different, right? Like how you're going to deal with it here in Scottsdale is going to be really different than if you're in Boise or other places. And so um, I don't think that there's a, you know, one size fits all approach to this. And and so I think that people just need to have patience and, and recognize great progress that we're seeing on the, you know, on the vaccines. And so hopefully, you know, by the time we're in summer, we're at a point where people that want to get vaccines can. And if, for those that don't want that, that there's at least therapeutics that are out there. So I think it's patience. And, and everybody right now has been so pent up that, that there's a lack of patience. And I think that's what we need. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for today. It was wonderful having you on the show. And uh, I look forward to maybe doing it again sometime. Yeah. All right, Max. Thanks, man. Thanks, Josh. I right, appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 right here on Star Worldwide Networks or wherever you get your podcasts.